We've been in a series called The Final Week. We've been going through the final week of Jesus' earthly life. We've been looking at days and seeing what happened. A lot of us know some of the major highlights. We know some of the things, you know, the triumphal entry. We know about the Last Supper and all these things. But we've been kind of diving in a little bit deeper to kind of see what these things are. And today, even though we're not going to finish the series today, today is probably obviously the most important day that we're ever going to talk about when we talk about the final week of Jesus. We've been looking at this this entire week, but or this entire month, but you need to catch this. This is literally the most important week of the most important person who ever lived. We believe that. We believe that Jesus was that individual. And now as we celebrate, as we remember Sunday morning, we have a lot to remember and a lot to celebrate. So we're going to jump right into Sunday morning, what took place on that day. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you. God, I pray that everything that's said, everything that's continually to be done, Father, would just be just ordained by your Holy Spirit. That God, my words would cease, that yours would continue to be what comes forth and that father that as we look to you father you would change us from the inside out we love you and we thank you in jesus name amen so we're going to be in matthew we're going to start in matthew kind of looking at sunday morning and then we're going to jump to the gospel of john but first let's start in matthew 28 so if you have your bibles you can turn to matthew 28 it'll also be up on the screen if you'd like to check it out there but here we go matthew 28 verses 1 through 4 this is what it says early on sunday morning as a new day was dawning mary magdalene and the other mary went out to visit the tomb Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him and fell into a dead faint. So what's going on here? Obviously it's now Sunday morning. Jesus uh, has been crucified. He's been killed. And now he has been buried in a tomb. And he's been there. And so what's happening here in this story is because of kind of some of the things that we're not going to get into necessarily today, but, but because of some of the, the Jewish traditions and things of that nature, they weren't able to really basically take care of Jesus' body and embalm it kind of in the way they wanted to. So Mary and Mary basically are headed to the tomb. They have have some spices there with them that they're going to use to kind of continue to prepare Jesus's body. So as they're coming to this tomb, there, there's an angel that shows up. There's an earthquake, quake. The amazing things begin to happen, and these guards who were placed there fall over, kind of faint. Now, here's the thing: in Matthew 27, we see why those guards are there. Basically, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, they go to Pilate and say, hey, listen, we got an issue here. You see this guy, this Jesus who we just crucified, he told his followers after three days he's going to rise again. And listen, if they go and they come and they steal this body, we're going to have more issues then than we do today. You want to talk about a prophetic word right there, okay? And so he says, listen, you, you secure the tomb however you want. So they take guards and they put guards there. They put a seal. Listen, I don't know about you, but here's how you know if you are not a very good soldier. Your job is to guard a dead man, okay? That's how you know. If you ever get into the military, I know we have some people that have served our country and that is so amazing, but listen, if you're ever assigned to guard a dead person, you know you are kind of low on the totem pole when it comes to rank, okay? 
So here's these guys, and they're there guarding the body of Jesus. And then some amazing things begin to take place. Let's continue now. Matthew 28, verse number 5. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was laying. He says, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Uh, you will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Verse number eight. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. Now, let's continue the story in John, okay? So here's kind of where we're at. In John chapter 20, the, the, the ladies have now left the tomb, and they have run off to do exactly what they were told to do, to find the disciples. So in Matthew 20, or excuse me, John 20, let's go ahead and pick up the story. It says, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. So now they've been told, and they are headed for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Okay, now John here is the one writing this. Now, I, I listen. Anytime I get an opportunity to put some like flesh and blood on some of these guys, these characters in Scripture that we tend to kind of make into marble men, I want to do it. I love the fact that John wanted you to know on Easter Sunday, 2022, that he is faster than Peter. Just so you know, can you, I, I, seriously, I can only imagine, like, like it's been 20 years since Jesus has risen from the dead, John and Peter are hanging out and they're talking and they're remembering that day, they're remembering how Jesus rose again, and John just says, man, you're slow. I mean, you just, just needle in him. And so because, and I just, I, this is just what I believe, John, we believe, was one of the last books, uh, sorry, the Gospels written, and Mark, John Mark, who wrote it with, with Peter's, you know, telling him what to write, Peter, or Mark, was basically one of the first books written. I can, I can just imagine John as he's writing this Gospel, and he's, he's just knowing God's speaking to him, and he's writing, he goes, make sure he's like, hey, listen, I'm going to get one on Peter, you know, really good. He's like, hey, listen, just so you all know, I'm faster than Peter. So he writes it down, gets it in there. So they're running to the tomb. John outruns Peter. He gets there first. He stoops and looked in and saw the linen, wrapping, linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. Verse number seven. Or can you, verse number six, excuse me. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple, meaning John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed. He saw and believed. This morning, as we really begin to dive into some things, I just really have a simple question that, I, that we all have to answer. It's a question that we have to answer because it's so vital to our life. It's so vital to our life now, but also our life through eternity. And it's very simple. It's what do you believe? On, on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus was who he says he was. We talked about that last week. Jesus was either exactly who he said he was or he was a raving lunatic. 
Do you believe that Jesus was God's son? Do you believe that he was crucified? Do you believe that on the third day, God raised him up so that we could celebrate this day and celebrate what God has do, is doing and doing in us? We're going to look at a scripture that is, in a lot of ways, it's kind of the linchpin of all Christian thought, all Christian theology. And it's so important. It helps us to understand what we believe. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3, the first part of that verse. This is what it says. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on on to me. Listen, what is Paul saying here? He's wanting us to understand something very clearly. This is what's most important. Sometimes in our lives, even sometimes as Christians, we tend to focus on things that aren't quite as important. Paul here is helping us to see, listen, this is it. This is major. This is the most important thing. And you know why we need that? Because as human beings, sometimes we don't focus on the most important thing. We don't think about the most important thing. We think about the other things. Listen, if I asked you this morning, what for your physical life and your physical body is the most important thing right now? You know what probably some of you would say? Well, shelter, uh, food, water. And I'd say, yes, those are all very important things. But in this moment, it's not the most important thing. Thing. Why? Because you can survive a little while without water. You can survive a little bit longer without food. But what you need to survive right now, you have to have it. You can only hold your breath for so long is oxygen. This is the oxygen of our spiritual life. These words, these understandings. 1 Corinthians 15, let's continue. Second part of verse 3. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. The most important thing. This is the concept. This is the linchpin of, the, of Christian understanding and thought and theology. If we don't believe this, there's going to be issues. We're going to see in just a minute, a little bit further into 1 Corinthians 15, why this is just so important. But here's the thing. In a lot of ways, and this is in your notes, and so this, this is the gospel message. This kind of brings it all together. But I've learned, you know, some people don't always understand what this is. So I want to look at this this morning before we continue. The gospel is the good news about what God has done for us. It's the gospel. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't know if you've grown up in church. I don't know if you've ever been around church. And if, if you have or haven't, it's okay. But listen, we, we, we tend to sometimes use some of these words and we don't always understand what they are or we have a very basic understanding. I've found that the word gospel kind of fits that. I feel like if I go up to most people and say, what's that word gospel mean? They'll say, oh, it means good news. And it does. But there's a deeper understanding of it. Because the word gospel at the time of Jesus and the time of Paul didn't have anything to do with religious thinking. Like today you hear the word gospel and that's what you think of. Oh, well, the good news of Jesus or, or that's what church people say or what Christians say. But when Jesus was alive and when Paul was writing this letter, the word gospel was not something that was used by religious people. In fact, it was something a little bit different. 
Here's what would happen. Here's how this word was typically understood and applied and used, especially during the Roman time. When, when a country or a Rome was, was battling another country or at war or something like that, basically the, a general would go in and, of course, he would try to defeat that country or that area or that, that group of people. And when he would do that, if he would do that, of course, he would send a messenger. That individual was literally called a gospel messenger. When you really look at the word gospel, it, it, it does mean good news, but it really means announcement. It means announcement. And so he would win the battle. He would send off this gospel messenger to go back to Rome or go back to another town or whatever. Maybe, maybe there were two towns that were fighting each other. And so they sent the army to take care of the rebels or whatever. And so this gospel messenger would go back to this town and he would proclaim that the general had won the war on their behalf. He would announce the victory. He would announce what has happened. He would say, listen, because you were incapable of taking care of these issues yourself, the general has come, the general has fought the battle, the general has won the battle on your behalf, and now I am going to come to tell you so you can celebrate the victory that you now share because of what someone else has done for you. You see, we need to understand this. It's in your notes. So the gospel is not about what you do for God. It is about what God has done for you. You say, Aaron, I, I don't know if, you know, this is all new or I'm kind of on this journey of really kind of discovering who Jesus is. But, but honestly, I don't know if, 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 if I'm good enough. I don't know if I've done enough good things. Listen, the gospel message, this good news, this announcement isn't based on what you have done. It is based on what God has done for us. Today, we don't celebrate that we, quote-unquote, rose from the grave. We celebrate that Jesus did. We don't celebrate that we conquered death, hell, and the grave. We celebrate that Jesus did. And because Jesus did it, we can celebrate and know that we can enjoy the benefits of his victory. That's some good news. That is a gospel message that we all need to claim and enjoy and live out in our lives. But let's continue here. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to jump a little bit further. Verse 17, Paul helps us understand how important, how vital this resurrected Jesus really is. He says, if Jesus has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are, more, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. The resurrection matters. The resurrection is the most important thing. We need to understand it. We need to look at it deeper. We need to have it uh, uh, change who we are from the inside out. But so this morning, what I want to do, knowing how important it is, I want to examine the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. If it's so important, we need to look at it. If it's so important, we need to give it more than just Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday lip service. We need to understand what it is. And so I want to take us on a journey as we ex look at this and examine it together. Because we have to start here. 
If we don't start here, this is the first domino. If, if this domino doesn't fall, then nothing else goes down. And we have a simple question we need to ask. Was the tomb empty? If the tomb isn't empty, we're useless. Our faith is useless. So was the tomb empty? We're going to walk through some things together. But this is our first question. And here's the thing. Both, both Christian scholars and secular scholars do not debate this point. This is completely and totally agreed upon by them. The tomb was empty. How do we know that? It's real simple, okay? Sometimes we just have to be simple in our thinking. Why do we know the tomb is empty? Simple. Because if you got people running around Jerusalem saying the tomb is empty, and they can basically go, let's go to the tomb. Come on. Let's go see. They knew where Jesus was buried. They knew he, where he was at. And so they said, come on, let's go see. So they go to the tomb, and there's the rock, there's the seal. Maybe they're like, hey, we're, we're, we're really tired of this nonsense. They roll it away, and guess what's inside? A dead person. pretty easy to find out. The concept of the tomb being empty is not debated. Do you realize that? Like a lot of times we talk about this maybe as Christians or non-Christians and we go, oh well, was the tomb really there? Listen, people a lot smarter than me have said, listen, the tomb was empty, both Christian and not. So if that is the case, if that is the consensus of, of a lot of people, then we need to ask a simple question. So where's Jesus? Okay? If the tomb's empty, where is Jesus? I want to talk about three really common, these are the most popular ideas about this question. Where's Jesus? And listen, people have written doctoral theses on these things. They have written papers on these things. I mean, these things have been talked about and written about. And I've broke it down to the three most common, most popular claims that tries to answer the question, where is Jesus? Number one, it's the wrong tomb claim. The wrong tomb claim. Let me kind of break these down. Basically, the wrong tomb claim states this, that Mary and Mary, as we read in Matthew, they are going to the tomb. They are so upset and so distraught at the situation that they go to the wrong tomb. They don't go to where Jesus was buried. They do go to an empty tomb, but it was never the tomb that was Jesus was buried in. The angel was not an angel. The angel was simply a gardener, and that they didn't know. And also, a little step a little further when we understand this, not only did Mary and Mary go to the wrong tomb, but when they went and told John and Peter, they also ran to the wrong tomb. And so they did find an empty tomb, but Jesus wasn't there because Jesus was never there. That's theory number one, claim number one. Basically broken down, the wrong tomb claim. Number two, the apparent death claim. The apparent death claim is the most popular. You will find this being, this is the one that most people believe, who, you know, we talked about belief, that do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, is the apparent death claim. In this claim, basically what they say is that Jesus and I'll break it down in a moment, never really died. So as we talked about last week, Jesus went for about, oh, I'd say about 72 hours or so without food, without water. He was scourged, 
which I don't want to get graphic in that, but a lot of people wouldn't even survive the scourging that they received. He was beaten. And then he carried his cross to his place of execution, where there were professional executioners who then nailed him to the cross. We talked about it last week, about some of the the understanding what his body was, was going through at that time. Scripture records that these professional executioners thought he was dead, but to make sure, they took a spear, and they, what they would do is they would, you know, where your rib cage is, because of where the height of the crucified person was, they would take that spear and they would go under the rib cage to try to pierce not only the lungs but the heart sac. And when they did that, water and blood flowed, which showed to these professional executioners that he had been killed. They then took him off of the cross. They then embalmed him to an extent with linen and spices. These linens and these spices would eventually kind of harden to kind of give it kind of a preservation type of situation. They then put him in a tomb and they rolled a stone over the front of the tomb and left him there. About Sunday morning, Jesus wakes up he just he kind of just comes to he had passed out or something and now he has come to and so now jesus who is bound by these things totally beaten totally uh, his back completely open lost who knows how much blood somehow finds a way to remove the linens off of his body in a way that when peter and john come to the tomb they're perfectly set up not ripped, not torn. Then Jesus, in his weakened state, after being beaten and crucified, rolls the stone away from the inside of the tomb. And then when he appears to his disciples, he looks completely and totally normal. This is the apparent death claim. The last one is the conspiracy claim. The conspiracy claim basically is one that is, interestingly enough, actually talked about in Scripture in Matthew. But the conspiracy claim is this idea that basically the disciples came and stole Jesus' body. This is what the, the Pharisees were so concerned about. This is, the if you look in, in, in Matthew 28, starting with verse number 11, all the way to 15, we, we see this Scripture where basically the guards come and they say, hey, listen... We were sitting there, and the angel showed up, and he's, he's not there. And basically, they, they tell them to spread the story that the disciples came and stole the body. And look, isn't this interesting? In verse 15, it says this, So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say, and their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Isn't that interesting? So the story is that these guys... These 11 guys that, quite honestly, if you look at Scripture, were not the sharpest knives in the drawer. I mean, these are the guys that Jesus has just communicated in, 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 a, in a passage in Mark that the greatest people will be those that serve. And basically, the next verse, they're arguing about who's the greatest, okay? And who's going to sit at God's right hand. I mean, these are not sharp guys. These are not guys that you would look at and go, hey, listen, listen, now that he's dead... Now let's go steal the body and say that he is alive. 
They don't do this for a couple of reasons. Number one, it just wasn't thought about at this time. If you had a Messiah as a Jewish person that you believed in and your Messiah was crucified, you did one of two things. Well, really, you did usually two things. Number one, you went home. And number two, you found a new Messiah. Your thought wasn't, hey, let's start this hoax that basically says he's really alive. That just wasn't in their mindset. That just wasn't what they were thinking. And one other thing, you'd always talk about this, and it's so important that we understand the cultural significance of this at the time. But if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels agree on something. And they agree that women found out that Jesus wasn't there. Now to us, it's like, oh, it's no big deal. Well, it's great that women found him. But in this time, in this culture, listen, women were not allowed to even testify in court. Their testimony wasn't valid. And so why would these men say the testimony of who found out that Jesus was alive was a woman? Unless that is exactly what happened so this idea that they came and stole the body it just it just wasn't in their mindset you look at scripture and there's times over and over and over again where the disciples just don't understand what jesus has come to do therefore therefore there is no reasonable alternative theory to the resurrection of jesus except that he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Let's look at some biblical evidence of that. Mark 10. Look what Jesus even said. Mark 10, verses 32. It says, talking to the 12, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law they will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Jesus tells his disciples in, in, in Mark 8 and in Mark 9 and in Mark 10 exactly what is going to happen to him. Jesus tells us. He explains it. We see it over and over. We see it in all four Gospels. We're, we're going to talk in just a minute about the Old Testament. We'll wait till we get there. But, but so many times Jesus explained exactly in detail what was going to take place. So we have this biblical evidence that we believe and see that Jesus rose from the dead. Not only that, but we see the amazing transformation in the disciples' lives. Think about these men. These guys never seemed to get it. They never seemed to understand. They were all about an earthly kingdom. When Jesus came to set up something so much greater, and they were timid and they were afraid. When Jesus is arrested, they all run away. Peter, this man that kind of has this, this kind of attitude that he's kind of the guy and he's the man, he tells Jesus, listen, I'll never betray you. Jesus says, man, listen, before, before the night's out, you're going to deny me three times. Peter doesn't deny him to strong people that really could really do something to him. He denies him to basically a little servant girl. He runs away. He's afraid. He hides. 
But something happens. Something changes who he is. And we see in basically in Acts him being preaching out to thousands of people, thousands of people being saved. Something changed. And yes, I believe it was the Holy Spirit that changed him, but something else took place. He had seen something different. Listen, I don't know about you, but if I see a dead person walking around, things are going to change in my life. And they did in theirs. To the point where if this was a hoax, if this wasn't really true, then they wouldn't have died for it. Listen, I don't know about you, but I, I, I like a good practical joke just like, you know, like anybody. But listen, when you start hurting me physically, I'm going to tell you the truth. None of these men recounted. They said, I will die for this. I believe that this has happened. This is amazing. This is life-changing. Look in Acts 4. In Acts 4, we see a little glimpse of this attitude change and this change. Now listen, this is Peter and, and, and John, they have been brought before the same guys that crucified Jesus. And they bring him forward and they say, listen, you're going to stop talking about this guy. You're going to stop preaching Jesus. And they kind of have this attitude, and it's pretty clear in the scriptures, like, like listen, you, you know what we did to him. Okay, this isn't a little servant girl. You know what we did to him. You don't stop it, we're going to do this to you too. Look at Peter's response. Look at John's response. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard it changed them next the old testament prophecies the old testament prophecies listen the bible and this is in your notes the bible says 300 times in the old testament that a messiah would come and these prophecies share incredible details about this person we see in Isaiah 15 the type of death that Jesus dies, the type of beatings that he takes. We see in Micah that he'll be born in Bethlehem. We have over 300 different prophecies that talk in detail about what the Messiah will go through. 300. Now listen, you know this. If you know me, math was my worst subject. I don't like it. I don't... Yeah. What, God made calculators or something? I don't know, but I am not a big fan of math. But there are some people who are. And these mathematicians got together because they had nothing better to do, I guess, and began to calculate the probability that we'd be able to find one person who would fulfill all 300 prophecies. And somehow, because they're brilliant, they were able to come up with an idea of that probability. It is literally 10 to the 165th power. That is the probability. Now, because I am visual, and because I, I see that number up there on the screen, and I go, huh? What is that? What, what is that really? I thought we'd be a little more visual, visual this morning. So, Monica, could you please put the next slide up? That in here it is. There you go. That is 10 with 165 zeros. I counted them when I put the notes together. Please don't count them. I may have missed one. <laughs> Get off this history. This is the probability, folks. 
that one man could fulfill. Because here's the thing. You had to be born in Bethlehem. If you want, you're out. You had to be crucified. If you want, you're out. I mean, you begin to look at this. Now, this is pretty incredible. Listen, this is important. The evidence is very strong. The evidence is very strong. When you look at the biblical history, when you look at the scholarly history, when you look at the scriptures, when you look at all these things. Listen, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The evidence of Jesus' resurrection is so strong that no one would question it except for two things. Except for two things. It's in your notes. Why wouldn't we believe this? Why wouldn't we believe that Jesus was who he says he was? Why, why, why don't we always think, listen, listen, they just could have gone to the tomb. They could have just gone. Why would, they, why would they have stolen the body? What good does that do? If the disciples didn't understand what Jesus came here to do, why would anybody else understand? Why would people, oh, he's risen. They would have been like, so what? What does that mean? Why is it so hard for us to believe? Well, number one, and this is more of an easy one to think about, it's a very unusual event. I mean, let's just be honest. We don't normally hear about dead people coming back to life again. But this one, number two, is a little more, sometimes hits a little bit more close to home. If you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. Because if Jesus really did come and die and rise again, we have to change how we see him and how we live. Because if that is true, everything else is also true. So it's hard. It's unusual, yes. But you know what? We believe a lot of unusual things. Really, it comes down to, do we believe it happened? And if so, are we willing to change how we live because of it? Let's close by looking at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. It's what it says, verses 1 through 5, and we'll jump to 8 and 9. Paul, once again, beginning to help us to understand, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Listen, can I, can I, I was reading a book last week, and, and, and it was kind of a novel and things like that, but it was a Christian novel, and one of the things about it was we was talking about this concept of sinners, and, and, and this individual was talking to this person in the book, and they just had a problem with that concept. And, and, and I understand that, but we need to all understand something, okay? If, if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, if we believe that he did that, there had to be a reason why that was necessary. The reason why it was necessary is because all of us, all of us, every single one of us have, is dead in our sin. We have done things that basically are, in contrary, are contrary to what God has for us to do and be. It doesn't make you a bad person because we all sin. But what it does make us is makes us dead. It makes us dead in our sin. One of the reasons why the resurrection is so important is because God wants to bring us back to a place of life, 
but we are sinners. We all have messed up. We have disobeyed. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is, verse number three, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Let's jump to verse number eight and nine. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us can boast about it because God loved us so much, because God is so rich in mercy. He sent his son to bring us life. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, when we come and when we believe, we're made anew. God makes us brand new. Those things in our lives that were dead, we were dead in our sin. Jesus has come and because he rose, we can rise. Because he is no longer dead, we don't have to be either. We can experience the life that he came to give us. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to close. I want to go back and once again look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, because it's just so important. Let's look at it again. I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. You know, this morning, as we kind of bring this to a close, there really are, in some ways, kind of two groups of people here this morning, and I know that. The first group, in no particular order, but the first group are those that, that if I said, do you believe, you would say yes. Yes. Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he died for me and for all the world, and on the third day he arose. I believe. And listen, if you're in that first group, man, I want you to, I want this message, and I want you to walk out of here just encouraged and excited. It's like, yeah, that's right. We can't have life. We can't have peace. We can't have joy. All not because of what we have done. We're not the perfect one. Jesus is the perfect one. But because of him and because of what he's done, we can experience this life that God has for us. Man, this should be a day of celebration for us. This should be a day where we look at it and go, oh man, isn't this amazing? Look what God has done. He's rescued us. Thank goodness. Can you imagine, think about it. Can you imagine if I was in charge of your rescue operation? Holy moly, we'd be in trouble. 
all be in trouble. But our Jesus came and he rescued us. He came and lived a sinless life, died and rose for us. And that's something to be excited about. That's something to celebrate. But the second group, and I would say is to you, if I said, you know, do you believe? You would say, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know about Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. I mean, maybe, maybe this is your first time in a church, or maybe, you know, you're online with us this morning, and maybe you haven't been to church in a while, whatever it might be. Maybe, maybe you, you know, somebody dragged you here this morning or, or said, hey, listen, you're, you're, I, I'm going to feed you uh, lunch, so you have to come to church with me and, or, or, or watch online. I don't know, but maybe this is your first time. And so all this is kind of, you know about Jesus, you've heard about him, but maybe you've never had this really explained to you before. And so the question of, of this, do you believe, is kind of like, I don't know. And for you that feel that way, listen. We all are on our journey to discover Jesus, but, but Jesus came. He was born. We celebrated every December. And he grew up and he lived. And he taught and he showed us how to live and how to have a relationship with, with God our Father. Scripture says that he lived a sinless life. And then he offered himself for you and for me. He died so that we could experience God's presence again because we ran away. Remember, we're the mess ups. We're the ones that didn't do it right. We were living in death. And listen, here's the thing. If you haven't accepted Jesus, if you haven't really accepted that forgiveness and that grace and that, those things, you have a life that's not what God has for you. Remember, God says you are his masterpiece, meaning he's got a plan for you, a great plan, a plan where he wants to take you from where you are and make everything new again. You say, but Aaron, okay, then what do I do? How do I? The scripture is very clear. Scripture tells us if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Today, not when you're perfect, because you'll never be. Not when you've read the Bible from cover to cover. Now, right now, in this moment. That's what God is offering us. And he lets us decide. He lets us decide what we believe. Can we all bow our heads and close our eyes for just a second? Just, just so we can focus. Nothing super spiritual about this. It's just so we can kind of take a moment. And so if you're in group one, can you just do me a favor? Can you just be praying? Okay? Can you just be praying? Not just for, for this moment, but maybe the moments that'll happen maybe next Tuesday or next Wednesday when people maybe watch this online. Can you just be in prayer right now? And I haven't forgotten you if you're in group one. You know, we're going to celebrate. We're going to continue to enjoy these moments. But 
I need you to pray right now. For those that are in group two, and I know maybe there's a lot of questions, a lot of things, but as we saw the most important thing, let me ask you, do you believe that Jesus came? That he lived a sinless life? Do you believe that he was crucified? That he willingly laid down his life as the substitute for us? Do you really believe that on the third day, Sunday morning, <laughs> that tomb was empty? And the scripture says that he appeared to his disciples and lots of other people. That he sent God's Holy Spirit to be a comforter and help us to share his love and his word and his goodness and his story to the world. But do you believe that Jesus was who he says he was? Because if you say, yeah, I believe, I believe, then you're ready. It's not I'm perfect. It's not I got all my stuff together. It's I believe that. So if that's you, I'm just going to ask that in just a moment you pray with me. The scripture says that, that we confess with our mouth, meaning it, it comes out of our mouth. It's, it's, it's verbal. That's important. But I also understand that sometimes it can be hard. So here's what we're going to do. We did it last week. We're going to do it this week. We're going to pray all together, every person in this room. You say, Aaron, I, I was saved in 1952. You're praying with us because it's good to proclaim it again. Not that you aren't saved, but it's good to proclaim once again that you believe. So will you do that with me? Will you repeat after me, everyone in this room, everyone online, on this Easter Resurrection Sunday? You say, Aaron, I'm ready. I believe. Now is my moment. Now is my time. All of us together, repeat after me. Dear Father, I love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you that Jesus is no longer in the grave. Jesus, I believe. I believe you are God's son. I believe that you lived a sinless life. I believe you laid down your life for me. And I believe on the third day, you were resurrected. I believe that that tomb was empty because you are alive and you are with the Father. And I believe that you can take the dead things in my life and make me alive again. I believe in you. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, make me new. I believe you're Lord and Savior and risen King. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to spend just a quick moment. We're going to close with a song or the quick chorus. 
and then I'll come back and we'll conclude in prayer. Father, we just, we just celebrate you. We remember what you have done. We love you and we thank you that you made a way where there was no other way. You took our punishment. You took the death. And now we've been made alive in you because of what you have done for us. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, happy Resurrection Sunday. Hey, for those that are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope that you have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday as well. For everybody that's here, thanks so much for being here. I hope you have a great rest of your day celebrating our risen Lord. We'll talk to you soon. We'll see you on prayer for Wednesday night. Love y'all.